Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from the Southern California foothills town of Glendora, California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead lost people to Jesus, building a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you, opens your heart, and shows you how to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Hello, Real Life Church. It's Pastor Jim. It's good to be with you again. Today we are in week three of our five-week series on biblical principles to living a strong life. It's called We Are Strong. We began by looking at positivity. Paul tells us in Philippians 4, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, think on these things. Focus on the things of God, those positive things uh, that we should keep our attention focused on. Secondly, we talked about passion. Find the passion that God has put in you, your calling in this world. Uh, And last week I gave you six principles of finding your calling. Today I want to talk about people, positivity, passion, and people. Because what Jesus calls us to in this world is to love. Jesus wants us to learn to love, to live in the, the school of love, to live our lives loving other people. If you want to live a strong life, if you want to live a, a healthy and happy life, the best thing to do is to begin with a relationship, a relationship with Jesus. And if you've never come to that place before where you've stepped across the line and say, Jesus, I, I want you to be my friend. I want to put my life in your hands because I think you know what my life should look like better than I do. Uh, and I'm going to entrust my life to you now. If you've never done that before, do that today. You can do that right now. You can do that in the, the midst of our study this morning where just in the quiet of your heart, you say, Jesus, Jesus, come in. I'm going to give my life to you. Uh, and today will be the day you begin following Jesus. Uh, let's take a minute. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you love us. And I thank you that you call us to yourself. You made us for relationships, first with you and then with, with one another. Teach us how to love you. Teach us how to love each other. Teach us to receive your love and to live in your love. God of love, make us a people of love. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Open in your Bibles or turn them on to Matthew chapter 22. And I want to look at one of uh, Jesus' greatest and most important teachings. A teaching in which he's asked, what's the most important thing in life? Uh, and answers that question. Matthew chapter 2 at verse 34. Listen to the word of God. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, uh, the Sadducees were a Jewish group in the first century world, and they often ended up in debates, sometimes with Jesus, uh, sometimes with another religious group called the Pharisees, uh, because the Sadducees had certain doctrines, and they didn't agree with other Jewish teachers at the time. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. So now there's this other Jewish religious group, a very strict legalistic group. They knew God's law, they wanted God's law enforced, and they functioned like lawyers who could interpret God's law and apply it in some very condemning ways to people who had broken the law. group of Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. 
This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. When Jesus says the law and the prophets, he means the Hebrew scriptures. The law was the first five books of the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. That's the Torah, the law. And then the prophets is a big section of the Hebrew scriptures. But when they say the law and the prophets, they mean the Hebrew Bible. And a common debate in rabbinic Judaism has been what laws are most important. Uh, in other words, it's just like in uh, Amer American constitutional law, when you have a court case and each side believes that the law errs in their favor, or when they refer to different laws that seem to conflict with one another, which law takes precedence? Which one takes priority? Which law is most important? And this is something that the Jewish rabbis would often debate. What is the greatest commandment? Which part of the law should be the lens by which we look at all the rest of the law? Uh, in fact, this was a debate that was going on 100 years before Jesus. Uh, the Pharisee who asked the question is not improvising, and Jesus' answer is not improvised. Jesus answers using a conversation that had been going on for 100 years. Uh, in the century, uh, the first century BC, before Jesus, there was uh, uh, two rabbis named Hillel and Shammai. And they were both well-respected, but they often disagreed with each other about the law. Uh, uh, Shammai was the more strict and more passionate of the two. And when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and keep the Sabbath. Don't break the Sabbath rules. It says don't work on the Sabbath. Prioritize God one day a week. Keep the Sabbath. That is most important. Hillel, who was the more gentle of the two, said, no, the greatest commandment is love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And whatever is hateful to you, don't do that to anybody else. Love your neighbor as yourself is how Jesus interprets it. But Jesus is siding with Hillel in a debate that was already going on. What's the greatest commandment? What's the lens by which we should read all the other laws? And Shammai said, if the disagreement is between love and the law, put the law first. The law interprets love. Hillel and Jesus said, no, 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 put love first. Love interprets the law. This is why Jesus would get in trouble for healing people on the Sabbath day. Because the, the strict keepers of the law said, no work on the Sabbath day, including healing. No healing people on the Sabbath day. And Jesus would say, hey, the Sabbath day is made for people, not people for the Sabbath day. Right? Don't, don't interpret love through the law. Interpret law through love. Uh, this is how Jesus uh, answers the question, what is the greatest commandment? Let me ask you, what's your greatest commandment? Because everybody has one. Even if you've never named it before, what's the greatest commandment in your life? What is the governing principle that decides how you do things? I'll tell you how to figure it out. Imagine a student who has a big exam coming up, and he needs to pass this exam to pass the class and to graduate. So in his mind, he thinks, it'd be very good for me to pass this exam. Rationally, that is the best option. That would be more beneficial than not passing it. That's where his head is at. In his heart, he thinks, oh, I'm so afraid of failing. I really want to graduate. Oh, I hope I pass this exam. I need to. So he carries his books along with him. That's where his heart is at. But on the night before the exam, he's sitting in the front row at Dodger Stadium watching a game. That's where his butt is at. And, and that tells you where your faith is. 
your greatest commandment is where your butt is at. It's your faith is rarely where your head is at. It's only occasionally where your heart is at, but it's always where you have placed yourself. Jesus will put it a different way. He'll say, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. Wherever you invest yourself most, that's where your heart is also. If you want to know what you care about most, look at your Venmo account. If you say, I want to be a generous person, rationally I know generosity is good, in my heart, I feel like I want to be generous, but your Venmo account shows that you've never been charitable. You are not generous. It's always where you invest yourself. It's where you place yourself. So what is your greatest commandment? Where have you put yourself in life that will show you what's most valuable to you, that will show you what your greatest commandment is? And as we look across the world at the way different people live their lives, there are three different approaches to life that I see. One, there are people who live for luxury. There are people who live for indulgence. They are hedonists. They, their greatest commandment is, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And they live self-indulgent lives. I knew a woman like this many, many years ago when we were young, and I could not believe her. She went through a, a reckless string of relationships. She did all kinds of drugs. She spent money wildly. She lived for the moment, and she lived for pleasure. I, when I first heard how she lived, I didn't believe she was a real person. I thought she was joking. She reminded me of those, those kids. You remember the children's story, Pinocchio? There's a group of boys who just want to live wild lives, and so they run off to Pleasure Island where you can do whatever you want and eat whatever you want. But it turns out the island is cursed. And the longer they stay there, the more they turn into donkeys. Well, I ran into this woman later in life, and halfway through life, she had burned through all of her relationships. She had burned through a lot of her neurons with the chemicals she was dumping into her body, and she was angry and had trouble connecting with people. She was not happy. She had turned into a donkey. You can live for luxury, but it will not satisfy the ache of your heart. We could... We could create a subclass here and say there, there's another group of people who live for luxury, but they're, they're type B personalities. They're hedonists, but they're too lazy to live wild lives, so they build a comfortable nest in the suburbs, and they live for relaxation and vacation and television. They don't turn into donkeys, they turn into slugs. But some people live lives of luxury, and that's what they live for. That's their greatest commandment. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. There's a second class of people who don't live for luxury, they live for labor. They live to achieve things. They live for the next benchmark, and there's always another benchmark, so they're never entirely happy. These people uh, measure the value of their lives through their trophy case. Their net worth is their self-worth. And the trophy case is filled with promotions and tokens of wealth. Now listen, the achievement God is a merciless God and he will kill you. And when that does not satisfy him, he will demand child sacrifice. And he will demand that you drive your children to achieve in ways that you could not. And your children may oblige you and live under your thumb and drive hard to achieve to make you happy. But midway through their lives, they're not going to be any happier than you are because the achievement God is not good to us. We could create a, a subclass under this as well and say that for within those who live for, um, live for labor, 
there are those who do so in a secular world and they achieve in the marketplace, but there are also those who do that in the religious world. They go to every Bible study. They know every Bible verse. They know how to evaluate everybody and nobody is good enough because the achievement God is a merciless God. Some people live for luxury. Some people live for labor. But the greatest commandment is love. Jesus says, when he's asked, what's most important, what is life is for, uh, what is life for, he says, love God with everything you've got within you and love your neighbor the way you'd like to be loved. He could not have been any more clear on this. This is, this is clearly one of the biblical principles of living a strong life. If you want to live a healthy and happy life, live for love. Jesus could not have been more clear on this. He says, love your neighbor. Love your enemy. When someone wrongs you, don't forgive them seven times. Forgive them 70 times seven times, an impossible number of times. Pray for those who persecute you. When you see someone who's beaten up on the side of the road and the, their life is a wreck, interrupt your life and spend your resources to care for that person and nurse that person back to health. When you come across someone that everyone hates, have lunch with that person and call that person your friend. When you come across someone who has done wrong and the keepers of the law are ready to throw stones at them because they deserve it, stand by that person and protect them from the self-righteous. Whether they are a criminal or a police officer, you do not get to carry stones in your hand and call yourself a follower of Jesus. Those two options are mutually exclusive. You do not get to throw stones at people and say that you love Jesus. If a foreigner passes by your gates, take them in, as treat, treat them as one of your own. Take them in and love them as though they were part of your own family. This isn't just an isolated teaching of the scripture. This runs through the whole of scripture. Love your employees enough not to make them work seven days a week. Remember the Sabbath day and give the Sabbath day to your employees. Jesus says, uh, what, uh, of all the, the principles in the Hebrew scriptures, Love God, love your neighbor. Later on, 1 John, written by perhaps Jesus' closest disciple, 1 John will say, those who know God, love. And those who don't love, don't know God. The two are mutually exclusive options. You either love or you don't know God. You either love God or you're a person who doesn't love others. You can't have both. Uh, fortunately, this is one of the, uh, the teachings of the scriptures that modern science is backing up. Uh, and I love the modern studies in well-being that are now validating things that were written in the Bible 2,000 years ago, validating in scientific terms. The longest study on happiness ever done is being done at Harvard. It's been go going on for 80 years. And remember, the people who started the study have now had have have now had to hand the baton on to the next generation because they aged out of the study. The researchers aged out of the study. They, they've studied this group of people over an entire lifetime to ask the question, what makes people happy? And the thread that runs through all of them is not how much money they had, not what kind of job they had, but whether or not they loved. We are made for relationships, and we do not find happiness outside of loving relationships. 
The study showed it doesn't have to be romantic relationships. And you don't have to have a lot of friends. Just a few deep relationships with people that you love and who love you. This is one of the principles of strong living. It's the key to reading the scriptures. Jesus said so himself. My kids come home at the end of the day, and uh, I'll, I'll often say, how was school today? What did you learn? Or how was math class today? What did you learn in math class? And uh, I have the feeling that at the end of the day, when you and I place our heads on our pillows, if we listen closely, we might hear the Holy Spirit whisper, how was love school today? What did you learn? Because that's what life is. Life is love school. We are here to learn how to love. That's what it is for. We are not here for luxury. We are not here for labor and our achievement. We are here to learn to love. If there were a question that St. Peter asked us at the pearly gates, and believe me, that is not how it works. There's no quiz at the end. But to be a little bit fanciful, if there was a question at the end, it would be, how was love school? What did you learn? Because we are here to learn to love. That is what life is all about. Now let me take us through a, a slightly difficult exercise. Imagine right now in your mind someone that you have trouble loving. Someone that you don't love. Maybe it's someone who wronged you. And maybe they did it on purpose. I'm going to think of somebody who betrayed me who stabbed me in the back, and then went through the community gossiping to try to do more damage if they could. You got somebody in mind? See, I don't love that person, uh, and I don't know how to. I can't imagine bringing myself to love that person, and anything I do that I tried to call love isn't going to look all that much like love. So what am I supposed to do with the teachings of Jesus when Jesus says, Love other people as you would be loved. How am I supposed to get there? Because Christians tend to think, well, I'll just force myself to do it. I'll just make myself do it. Whatever Jesus said, I'll just make myself do it. And that's how Christian ethics works. Christian ethics is all about try harder. And if you've ever watched people try to force themselves into virtue, it never really works. Have you ever seen someone pray for patience? and they try to make themselves be patient, they try to work on their own patience, there is no more miserable experience than being in a home with a spouse who is praying for patience. Because <laughs> you walk through the kitchen and you say, hey, you, uh, you left a, a plate in the sink and didn't put it in the dishwasher, and they're like, leave me alone, I'm working on my patience right now. <laughs> you can't force yourself into patience, and you can't force yourself into love. It ends up just looking like a hypocritical thing. It looks artificial and fake. You can't make yourself do it. So what do I do with the teaching of Jesus that we should love as we would be loved, that we should love our enemies and forgive? Well, it's like this. Imagine a little elderly couple who have retired to a cabin in the mountains, and that's where they live and they're still very much in love and they have a beautiful relationship and they live up. Every now and then they'll go down into town to buy supplies, but they enjoy living out in the mountains in their little cabin. And one day the husband says to the wife, I'm going to make you a candlelight dinner tonight. And she says, oh, that's very nice. 
And so he comes down into town and he buys all the groceries and supplies to go and make a candlelit dinner for her. And of course he buys a candle. They need a candle at the cabin so he can have a candlelight dinner. So he finds one and it's one of those beautiful scented candles with the flowers pressed in it. He goes back up to their cabin in the mountains and he makes dinner and he's all ready to go. And he's about to put the candle in the one candle holder that they have in their cabin and he realizes it doesn't fit. The candle is too big for the candle holder. So what's he going to do? What's he supposed to do? I mean, he, he's got limited options at this point. He can try to shave it down and, and put it in the, in the candle holder, but it's not going to fit. It's probably going to tilt and it's going to look awkward. He doesn't have enough time to go back to town. It's too late. So he realizes what he has to do. He lights a fire in the fireplace and he sets the candle next to it so that it will melt down and become soft so he can reshape it into the thing that goes where it belongs. We can't force ourselves to love. The only way to learn to love is to get closer to the fire and be melted down and reformed into a thing that can love. The only way to learn to love is to draw close to Jesus, to sit in his presence and to let him melt us and reform us into a people of love. The foundation of Christian ethics is not try harder. The foundation of Christian ethics is come closer. Come closer to Jesus and live in his presence. This is why prayer and love are not unrelated. Prayer is the pathway to love. Prayer in its mature forms is sitting in the presence of Jesus and just living there, dwelling in the presence of Jesus. When I was a kid, I thought prayer was like a divine slot machine. And I thought you just called out a bunch of requests to the sky and sometimes they paid out and sometimes they didn't. Sometimes you'd ask for something and you'd get it and sometimes you didn't and you never had any reason, it was just luck. But now I know that, that prayer is that act of drawing into the presence of Jesus and letting him reshape you, dwelling on his life and his character and his love and letting him love you so that your heart grows in love. Some of us have never experienced that kind of prayer. Some of us um, are like a, a kid who, you know, has, has learned to play catch, just throw a ball back and forth. And one day uh, she's invited to go out and play baseball. And she says, no, 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 I've already played baseball. It's not that fun. Well, she's never played baseball. She's just played catch. Some of us in the world of prayer, have only played catch. And Jesus wants to teach us how to play ball. So if you've never learned to pray, if you've never learned to live in the presence of Jesus, take one of our prayer classes. Read books on prayer. Watch videos on prayer. Practice prayer. Develop your life of prayer. Um, I'm at a place now where there are times of the day where if I have not prayed, I get this, this longing in my heart that's like hunger. You know those times where you've worked through lunch, you've forgotten to have lunch, and it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and you feel this kind of gurgling welling up inside your stomach. You feel this hunger because you've missed something. Sometimes 
if I've, if I've missed prayer, I feel that, that longing. I, I, I feel that need to be on my knees in prayer again. Or you know how if uh, you set an alarm clock and it wakes you up at 6 a.m. every morning, you wake up at 6 o'clock and 6 o'clock and 6 o'clock, and then Saturday rolls around and you don't set the alarm clock, but you still get up at 6 a.m. And you say, why am I up? Because you've trained yourself to be up. You've trained yourself for that time. I'm at the place where if I, if I don't pray, I feel this restlessness for prayer because I miss being in the presence of Jesus. Jesus wants to call us into prayer, to live in his presence so that we are loved and consequently reshaped. And at the end of my life, if I ever learn how to love, it will be because I spent time with Jesus. When my son was very little, he's, he's catching up to me now. I put my shoe up next to his this week, and it was the same size. But when he was very little and had littler shoes, uh, we had a basketball net out in our backyard. And there were times where we would go out there with a ball, and it was way too high uh, for him to shoot. So I would pick him up, and he'd pick the ball up, and I'd hold him over my head, and he'd chuck the ball at the net. And occasionally it would go in. And he would say, I did it myself. And I'd say, sure you did, buddy. Sure you did. Well, if at the gates of heaven I were asked, how was love school? What did you learn? If I'm able to say, I learned to love in all kinds of ways. I did it myself. Jesus will say to me, sure you did, buddy. Sure you did. Because it's not something I made myself do by trying harder. It was something I was melted down and reformed into by being in the presence of Jesus. The call of Jesus is to learn to love. What is the greatest commandment? Love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, everything that is within you. And then love your neighbor as yourself. This is what we're made for. There is no strong life, no healthy life, no happy life without it. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you love us. And I thank you that your love melts us down and reshapes us. Draw us close to you that we might learn to forgive and to love in your name. Teach us to protect those who deserve condemnation. Teach us to forgive those who cannot be forgiven. Teach us to love those that we cannot make ourselves love. And as we do, may we Point the world towards Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. God bless you. I'll see you again. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Instagram or Facebook at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap Give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.